Kids, I hope you have a great time in the back. If you're remaining in the room, I'd encourage you to turn to Genesis chapter 32. We're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Um, I tried to cut out a little bit, but just couldn't quite find the right spot to do so. So we're going to read the whole chapter. Um, just as you're turning there, um, we've had, uh, we have a lot of kids in our house, and so over the years we've watched lots of, of Disney things, and we have discovered there's a lot of recurring themes that you see in Disney movies uh, a couple years ago. Um, they were doing, they were promoting a remake of a Winnie the Pooh or, or Christopher Robin movie, and the tagline on the movie was this, uh, sooner or later, your past catches up with you. Sooner or later, your past catches up with you. I have no idea what that means in the context of the movie, but it is a theme you see in Disney movies. One of our favorites is The Lion King, which is pretty old by now. Uh, I've told you before, uh, my wife and I went and saw it at the Hippodrome, the live version of this, and we don't go to a whole lot of shows, but it was, uh, this was really fun. Uh, with amazing costumes, great artistry there. But if you've ever uh, read the story or, or seen the movie or, or watched the, the show, it's about a lion who runs away from his past and from his true identity, but eventually he has to sort of turn around and face his past and face his true identity. You see this recurring theme in all these Disney movies. No matter how hard we run and hide from it, there are moments and actions in our past that we just cannot seem to shake. Uh, author Catherine Kennish wrote, we need not fear it, but you must always bear in mind that the past is never quite finished with you as you are finished with it. So we've been looking at the story of Jacob and what it shows us about struggling uh, in our relationship with God and in our faith. Uh, Jacob's past is certainly checkered, to put it mildly, and as we'll see this morning, his past was not finished with him. So again, I'm going to be reading from Genesis chapter 32, and we're going to read uh, the entirety of this chapter. This is God's word. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, thus you shall say to my Lord Esau, thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. I have oxen donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants, I have, sent, I, I have sent to tell my Lord in order that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the herds and the camels into two camps, thinking, if Esau comes to the one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff I have crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two camps. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers, with the children. 
But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he stayed there that night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, 200 male goats and 20 male goats, uh, 200 ewes and 20 rams, 30 milking camels and their calves, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. These he handed over to his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, pass on ahead of me and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the first, when Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, to whom do you belong, where are you going, and whose are these ahead of you, then you shall say, they belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover, he is behind us. He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves. You shall say the same thing to Esau when you find him, and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes ahead of me, and afterward I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on ahead of him, and he himself stayed that night in the camp. The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. And he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. This is God's word. Father, thank you so much for this um, just gift of worship this morning, Lord, this opportunity we have one day in seven to refresh our hearts in the truth of, of who you are and what you've done for us. Uh, to receive your living word that is powerful, sharper than two-edged sword, shapes us more and more into your image. So we pray as, as we continue our worship by meditating on your word, um, that you would meet us here in a special way, uh, that we would hear your voice, that we would encounter you uh, just as Jacob did in our story here this morning. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen. I think as, as we look back on our lives, I would say we all probably have spiritual benchmarks in our lives. Um, these, are, these are probably moments where we look back and uh, we see, we didn't probably realize it at the moment, but we see how God used that circumstance at that time in our hearts um, to grow us, to, to shape us more into his image, to help us to see things not only about ourselves and about God. And so those places become 
spiritual benchmarks or things we look back and remember as places where God did something significant. Well, I have to, ha- I have to believe that in the story of Jacob, this moment that we just read about is probably the spiritual benchmark in his life, the moment where he looked back and for the rest of his life thought about what God did in that moment. But a little bit of background to get us up to speed to why this was such a significant moment. And if you haven't been with us in our look at the life of Jacob, we'll summarize really quickly what made this such a significant moment. What we learned at the very beginning of this story is that jo- uh, Jacob was the younger brother of two twins, or of, of set of twins, and because he was the younger brother, that meant something significant, because in the, el- in the ancient world, the elder brother always had the superior position. And Jacob, poor Jacob, just missed it by a few seconds. Uh, but that didn't mean he didn't struggle with wanting it and struggle with getting it. Genesis tells us that Jacob uh, struggled with his brother Esau even before they were born. They struggled together in the womb, but then when they were born, they were very different from one another. Uh, Esau was the hairy one. He was the hunter and gatherer type. Uh, Jacob was the quieter one, very close to his mother, preferred to stay in the tents. But what we also discover is that Jacob, from the very beginning, was a conniver and an opportunist in every sense of the word. We read in Genesis 25 when Esau comes in from working in the fields and he's starving and Jacob had uh, created a stew and Esau asked him for that stew and Jacob managed to connive his way into uh, stealing a inheritance from his brother, his birthright from his brother Esau. Esau, in effect, sells his birthright for uh, lentil stew and some bread. Now, looking back, this no doubt frustrated Esau, um, and it began a rift between these two brothers. And in Genesis 27, that rift gets even wider, because Jacob, along with his mother, Rebekah, swindled the father's spiritual blessing away from Esau. See, by birth order, that great spiritual blessing belonged to Esau, and that meant authority over the family. It meant a double portion of the family's estate and the inheritance, but Jacob wasn't content to let that go to his older brother. And so he capitalized on his father's age and his father's blindness. He receives this great blessing from God, and he is given the seat of authority over this great family. Of course, when Esau finds out about this, he is overcome. Everybody was angry. Isaac was angry. It said he trembled very greatly. Esau, when he found out, let out an exceedingly great and bitter cry. Genesis 27, he begged his father to bless him too, but the damage had already been done. And so when Esau comes to terms with all of this, it says he lifted up his voice and wept. But even in that moment, uh, there's a lot of anger. And so he swears, he vows that he will kill his brother Jacob when he has the opportunity. And so Jacob learns about this. He has to flee into the wilderness, understanding that he might not ever be able to go back to his father, uh, to his family, to his mother. And if you've been with us, you'll know that God met Jacob in that moment with a dream, a ladder that stretched up into heaven and angels ascending and descending on the staircase. 
And God told him at that point that he must go and where he should go, God would direct him. I think this was a spiritual benchmark for Jacob, at least a small one. Um, This was probably not a huge spiritual moment for him, but it was a start. It was the start of his spiritual journey. Um, The God of his father and his grandfather was now to be his God as well. And so over the next two decades, a lot happens. Jacob takes wives. Those wives and servants bear uh, 11 sons to Jacob. Uh, Through more conniving and deceitful means, he generates a lot of wealth for himself. Sometimes he's swindled. Sometimes he out-hustles other people. And all this continues to happen in the life of Jacob. But that's who Jacob is. He's a swindler. He's a conniver. Through deceit and trickery, he knows how to get the things that he wants. He has a a sharp intellect and knows how to manage people throughout. No problems with deceit, no problems with trickery. And because of that, uh, he leaves a trail of enemies behind him, people who hate him, people who want him dead. And yet what's been so remarkable as we've seen throughout is that even though um, Jacob is who he is, God is still standing behind it all orchestrating things, blessing Jacob consistently throughout the process, shaping him and molding him into who God wants him to be. Now, finally, as our passage opens up, Jacob's on the run once again. This time he has to flee from his father-in-law, Laban, because of all sorts of nefarious activities between the two of them. And so then in Genesis 31, God commands Jacob to do something I'm sure he did not want to do. God says to him, it's time to return home. It's time to face the music. It's time to confront your past with your brother Esau. God's been growing Jacob all throughout this process, but now that growth is about to get supercharged for Jacob in this moment. So as he's returning home, he learns that his brother Esau is heading out to meet him. But one detail struck fear in Jacob's heart. Your brother is coming out to meet you, and he's bringing 400 men with him. So Jacob has to imagine, once he learns this, that this is probably not going to go well. My brother is coming out to meet me with 400 men. But now the stakes are higher for Jacob. It's not just him He's got wives, he's got children, he has wealth, and he had to wonder, would the consequences of his past now not just inflict pain upon him, but also those that he cares the most about, his wives and his children? Would his past negatively now affect those whom he loves the most? And so what Jacob does is he sends them all the way. He sends him all the all away until he is there alone. And in that quiet moment in the desert, in the wilderness, while he's all by himself, he finally prays to God. From what I can tell, this is one of Jacob's first only real prayers in all of his life and all of his walk with God. This is the first real prayer that he comes to God with. You see, I think that's part of that is because his life um, had been brought to a place of desperation. He was now faced with a situation he couldn't swindle himself out of or connive himself out of. He had 
come to the end of himself, and he finally realized just how much he needed God in this moment. He had nowhere else to go. This was the critical spiritual moment in the life of Jacob. Now, I say that because Jacob had been a a pretty self-sufficient guy up until this point. He knew how to talk himself and how to, how to out-strategize himself out of any tricky situation, but not this situation. Finally, he'd met one that had become too big for him, and so he calls out to God maybe for the first time ever. The substance of his prayer is remarkable. Go back and read it again later on. He essentially says to God that he doesn't deserve everything that God has done for him, up until this point. He finally recognizes that all the blessings in his life really have nothing to do with him at all. They're all from God. And he recognized that God had blessed him despite his own sinfulness and despite his own messiness. And so this was a huge moment for Jacob just to realize all of those different things. And so he finally cries out to God and he says, God, help me. God, deliver me. Remember your promises to be with me and to protect me. Please make good on those promises. J.I. Packer wrote that Jacob had hitherto been self-reliant, believing himself to be more than a match for anything that might come. But now he felt his complete inability to handle things. And he knew with blinding and blazing certainty that never again dare he trust himself to look after himself and carve out his destiny. Never again dare he try to live by his wits. And so what we read this morning is Jacob has this midnight wrestling match with the angel of the Lord. So if you're keeping track, uh, Jacob struggled with his brother. Uh, He struggled with his father-in-law, Laban, but now he would contend with God himself. Really, his contention with God was behind all his other struggles, behind all the other struggles in his life. Really, behind it all, he was wrestling with God. And so now all this comes to one critical moment. It tells us that he succeeded in his wrestling match, not because he was stronger than God. Instead, he succeeds in this wrestling match because he refused to let God go. He let a lot of other things go. He let his self-sufficiency go. He let his former manipulation and deceitful tactics, he let all those things go. He let go of his conniving and his hustling, but instead he held on to God and he refused to let go of him. Friends, I believe that if we allow them, difficult circumstances do this very thing for you and I as well. They strip away all the things that at the end of the day don't really work for us. And instead what they do is they force us to hold on to God for dear life, to hold on to him and to never let go. Jacob walks away with two things. He walks away with a new name and a new limp. He's given a new name. He's named Israel instead, and that name means one who struggles with God or, or may God strive with him. 
Uh, and anytime you see a, a person given a new name in the scriptures, it, it means something profound. It means their character has changed. Jacob has changed so much now that he needs a new name. And we're going to talk more about that later. But we also learn that he's given a new limp. For the rest of his life, he will be hobbled because of his encounter with God. Not because of arthritis, not because of some sports injury. He will walk away hobbled because of his encounter with God. But even that infirmity, as hard as it sounds, is a gift. It's a gift because it will be forever a grace for Jacob, a perpetual reminder, a perpetual humbling, a perpetual physical reminder that Jacob is never going to be enough, but instead God will always be enough. And so now after this difficult circumstance and now after this midnight wrestling match, now and only now is Jacob prepared to meet his brother Esau. Now and only now is Jacob prepared to face the toughest moment of his life. See, Jacob, now named Israel, has been stripped of all those things that used to characterize him. Now, instead, he will be characterized by his faith, his refusal to let go of God. And all of this from start to finish was God's work and God's work alone, a work of sheer and unmerited grace. See, friends, I believe that if we allow them, this is what difficult circumstances do for all of us. They strip us of our self-sufficiency. They strip us of our pride, and they show us just how bankrupt we are before God. And in those moments, as painful as they can be, they finally become the occasion for God's work of grace to happen in our lives. So as painful as they may be, they are all an occasion for God's grace. This is the very rhythm of the gospel that we talk about each week here. Because what the gospel does is it strips us of our pride, it shows us the foolishness of our self-sufficiency. There's nothing we can do to solve the problem of our past and our own sinfulness. We are helpless left of ourselves to reconcile with the God whom we have deeply offended. But once we have been stripped bare, that's the moment where God meets us, just like Jacob. That's the moment where God meets us and he points us to Jesus Christ himself. He points us to Jesus who was physically stripped bare and hung on a cross. He, was, he points us to Jesus who did everything that needed to be done in order for us to be reconciled to God. And he calls us to do the very thing he called Jacob to do. He calls us to cling tightly to Jesus by faith. He calls us to hold on for dear life, to hold on to Jesus and never let go because at the end of the day, Jesus is our only hope in life and in death. This, uh, this uh, week I read a, a poem on Jacob wrestling with the angel and I'm not, I'm not, I don't read a lot of poetry, uh, but I thought this was a beautiful one and it's simple, which is probably why I can understand it. This is why I don't read a whole lot of poetry. But I thought I'd share it with you. It's entitled, uh, Jacob Wrestling with the Angel. The river has tasted the salt of your skin, 
has lapped at your calves with its current. The river has swallowed the press of your steps. There is no record of your crossing. The river is between you and everything you call your life. You step into a stranger's arms. Your shoulder fits theirs like a bone in its socket. Your jaw notches theirs. All around you, a profusion of oleander beams back the moonlight, offering a carpet of fallen petals. In your arms, all the promises you've yet to keep, all you've done that shames you. But what is wrestling if not an embrace? You see, I'd never thought about that before, that even in that wrestling is an embrace, an embrace of God. Jacob was changed by the embrace of God in the midst of his wrestling match. So friends, maybe you are wrestling with God, with your life, with your circumstances, with whatever difficulties you are facing, and it's hard, it's difficult. We're struggling with God, with the whys and the whats and the wherefores and all the questions that don't often get answered. But simply recognize that even in that wrestling, there is an embrace. God is embracing you in whatever it is that you're facing. Let's pray.